You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Want to learn how to be an entrepreneur? You are dedicated and devoted to a life of developing new ideas and innovations. Willing to take calculated career risks, achieving independent wealth and success. Then you are ready to experience the entrepreneur effect. We'll highlight opportunities for entrepreneurs in digital marketing through interesting, practical, and thought-provoking interviews and monologues. Increase your income and be your own boss by listening to The Entrepreneur Effect. Please welcome your host, a 25-year veteran in sales, management, and business development, Dush Ramachandran. Hi, welcome to Entrepreneur Effect. This is Dush Ramachandran. And my guest today is William Moore, who is the original co-founder of Doorstep Delivery, which he has since sold. And um, William is looking to share um, his insights and learnings from having achieved financial success. And I think this is going to be a great conversation. So, hi, William. How are you? Hi, Josh. Great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Wonderful. Great. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, doorstep delivery. Uh, how did you come to start that business and uh, what was your journey like? So I was sitting in Orlando, Florida uh, about 12 years ago and the real estate market was, was uh, just coming to a crash basically. Um, 2008 ish, 2007, 2008 when things were just a huge bubble and then they kind of, and I thought, and I was in real estate and I knew I needed to pivot. And I thought, what would be the next business that I can start on my own where people, you know, there'll always be a demand and I don't have to worry about where the future is headed in this particular market. And I thought, well, food and in particular um, delivery. I was stuck in an office at my old job, 12, sometimes 15 hours at a time. And the only thing we could order was pizza and Chinese. Uh, as traditionally that's used to be, people don't even probably remember because they're so spoiled, but that used to be all you could order fast or delivery wise pretty much for years and years and years. Sure. Um, and I said, well, there's gotta be a, a better solution and there wasn't. So I grabbed my best friend. I said, let's do it. We, we came up with a business plan and got going. Excellent. And so uh, in getting started, 
did you seek outside funding? Did you bootstrap it yourself? Did you put in we your life savings? It. Okay. Yeah, we, 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 I'd done fairly well in real estate. He was actually working in real estate with me. Uh, we were selling land, which is a whole nother story in itself. It was, it was a crazy job selling land out in the middle of nowhere in like Ocala, Florida, huge parcels of land when the real estate boom was just on fire where you could not miss. And we just sold a ton of it. Um, and made a decent amount of money that way, which allowed me to have enough money to sort of get this thing started. Okay. And so um, in, in getting Doorstep started, what were the, say, in the first two to three years? Uh, how long did you operate the business? So we operated the business for a total of about 10 years. Okay. Uh, and in the first two to three years, uh, yeah, you know, when you, we started out of my buddy's um, spare bedroom, uh, he and I were two out of our four original drivers. You know, we had uh, a friend of ours was taking calls. This was, the, it was the year the iPhone came out. So technology was just now, I mean, now you, you know, you, you go to your phone and most people are familiar with, you know, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub and how easy it is to order on your phone you know you just click the app and all of a sudden all the restaurants just pop up and you click on what you want. but back then you know this was just the iphone had just come out that year so people were still mainly ordering over the phone so we got like 95 percent of our orders over the phone which wasn't scalable and fortunately the iphone that came out i i recognized that and i developed our technology around it to be able to take advantage of that both from the customer side as well as on the driver side, being able to send our driver our orders to our drivers, so they had the location and exactly what to pick up on their phone, and they could just hit a button and it would GPS them to the restaurant and then to the customer, and they'd know exactly what items they needed. Great. So, what were maybe two or three lessons that you learned during those first few years uh, getting Doorstep started? So, number one was to learn to trust somebody versus blindly trusting. Um, we definitely got burned several times over those last few, first few years. Uh, one in particular instance I remember was we told an individual our entire business plan, didn't have him sign NDA or anything. Uh, he was actually the guy around town that had these things called rickshaws. So I don't know if you're uh -huh. familiar, but uh -huh. it, essentially big cities have these things where- sure. You hop in and, and you can get a ride and you pay, you know, the person driving you around in this little bicycle for, right. you know, to take you from point A to point B. It's a place where that way you don't have to be in a car and if it's not a lot of parking. And we're like, well, downtown is super congested. It'd be really hard for our cars to be able to get in there, park, run in, get the food. So maybe this is a good solution to start. So the owner, we, we met with him. We told him our idea. He's like, oh, yeah, this is great. And we're like, hey, you know, do you want to partner and do this thing together and he's like yeah great and then he just started ignoring our calls two months later he comes up he, he comes out with his own version of our business like literally just stole the entire entire business plan uh fortunately though we didn't tell him too much other than you know what we wanted to do and the concept and it's all in the execution as you know in any business absolutely absolutely he failed pretty quickly um we actually ordered food from from him and he showed up to deliver it. And I wish I had a, a video of his face when he rolled up to our house with the food and we're like, Oh, Hey man, how you doing? 
how's it going? And he's like, oh, I was just waiting for you guys to get started. Uh, how's everything going? So that was interesting. And we, we very quickly, because we took the time, we slowed down to go fast. That's another lesson I learned. Don't just rush into it. Make sure you have your ducks in a row and you're doing it correctly from the get-go. Otherwise, as you start to run into problems, you're just going to get whacked every which way and spend too much time correcting these mistakes. Um, so we went in and did it the correct way. We quickly put him out of business and it was very sweet revenge. <laughs> nice. Um, so then as you, as you started, uh, growing, uh, doorstep by that time had all of these other, um, food delivery, uh, applications like Grubhub and Uber Eats and, um, and so on. Had they all started to appear in the market or were you were you pretty much the first yeah good question so we were one of the first uh there were other telephone ones out there that i remember one called telephone taxi and like i said you know because we, we came out the year the iphone came out and so that was really the game changer once that technology came out it made it more scalable and if you were a technology company it was a lot more easy to less barrier of entry to get in because now you had the technology to reduce a lot of the friction for the business. So Grubhub, uh, Grubhub was one of the first that came out and competed with us. I don't think they came out for at least four or five years after we'd started, but they grew very quickly um, because they did raise money and had a lot of funding. They though focused on the tier one markets which is, you know, your LA's, your New York's, your Chicago's. Whereas we focused on the tier two to tier three markets, the Orlando's, the Nashville's, uh, the Gainesville's, the Miami's. So, you know, pretty big, decent sized cities, but not to where the big guys were going to come in first, which ended up being a huge advantage because we got our, we got a, a good stronghold on those markets. And once somebody starts ordering food from you and they're happy with the experience and they're, and they're getting a good service, they tend not to switch. So we, we were able to dominate those markets, even when those, those big guys came in in a lot of our markets, not all of them, but in a lot of them, we were able to hold the, hold the, the majority of our customers, even though these other guys came along. Nice. And so did you expand nationwide um, in sort of tier two cities, tier two and tier three cities, or did you just mainly stay south, with- Yeah, sorry, mainly Southeast. Um, so we, we were in about 12 markets in Florida. We started expanding into Tennessee. We started expanding into North Carolina, um, just kind of kind of that southeast we we did go over to denver which was kind of an offshoot we did one in minneapolis which was or um yeah another offshoot but for the most part it was the southeast region is what we focused on nice and um did you did you have challenges with uh bringing drivers on board and training drivers because this is a relatively new concept or a completely new concept when you started it so what were those challenges like Huge challenges. Yeah. So drivers uh, was, was always our biggest problem. Um, our biggest, the, the biggest hurdle, I should say that we needed to overcome. And the reason being, you know, there's so much turnover. We were an independent contractor model, so you can't force people to work. And, you know, let's say you have, so we started, you know, like I said, it was me and my partner and two other drivers when we first started we, we quickly grew in Orlando, became our number one market. You know, we had about a hundred or so drivers 
not quickly, but maybe after about two, three years, we had a hundred or so drivers on the road. And let's say you have a hundred drivers scheduled, meaning that's approximately how many, you know, you need to run the schedule efficiently. But if it rains that night and all of a sudden 10 drivers call in and they say, I'm not coming, or they just don't show up. And then that means you, you we're actually spiking in orders because when it rains is when people stay in and everybody wants to order. So we get more orders than we have drivers and drivers are calling out. So that ends up being a huge problem because then the customers are not going to be getting their food as quickly on time. And so that was always a constant battle with the drivers. Um, a huge, I think most of the businesses, restaurant delivery services out there uh, all could say the same. The only one I can say probably never has had this problem is Uber. And the reason being from a fairly obvious perspective, they had all the drivers in place already. They were already out there. Right. And so it was an easy transition to just say, okay, we've already got all these guys driving around. Now let's, if they want to take a food order, we can ping it to them and there we can ping the closest guy to that restaurant. Cool. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with William Moore. Stick around. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more of the Entrepreneur Effect when we return. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let webmasterradio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. Webmasterradio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. You are experiencing the Entrepreneur Effect only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's Dush Ramachandran. Welcome back. This is Dush Ramachandran with Entrepreneur Effect. My guest today is William Moore, who is the uh, original co-founder of Doorstep Delivery, a food delivery business that he has since sold. And we're having a great conversation about challenges and lessons learned and um, all of the all of the goodness that William has to pass on to the rest of the entrepreneur community. So before the um, break, we were talking about challenges associated with drivers and so on. Um, so did you did you encounter challenges with um, just plain unreliability, other than weather related stuff? You know, people just not showing up because you know some of these folks tend to be somewhat flaky and they may show up, they may not show up. Um, so did you, you never did employ drivers as employees. You, they were always independent contractors, right? Great question. So the, to answer you, the second part first, when we, we actually merged uh, the last 
two, three years of our business, we knew that we were in trouble because these companies like Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, even Amazon was in the business for a while, um, were coming in hot and there's no way we were going to be able to fend them off forever. So we actually merged with another company out of Minneapolis called Bite Squad, B-I-T-E Squad. Mm-hmm. And they were a W-2 model and we switched to their model and they had a lot of success with the W-2 model um, in that you had, you did have to, you know, the drivers did have to show up. They did have to use their uniform. They did have to have their bags and you couldn't, and you could punish them. You know, you could, there could be consequences. Whereas yes, the independent contractors extremely use the word flaky. I mean, we used to say, and you know, in a nice, the nicest way possible, nobody grows up to be a delivery driver, meaning usually it's an interim job between gigs. Right. And it's not like this is your final destination for a lot of people. Although we did have some drivers for four or five years that really knew how to hustle and did it the right way and killed it. Just like any server in a restaurant, you know, that makes it a career out of it. So I always had respect for those people. But yes, for the most part, a lot of turnover, a lot of flakiness, a lot of no shows. And as I was mentioning before, that was definitely our biggest challenge because, you know, then all of a sudden you've got 10 orders in the queue and you've only got two, two drivers to deliver them. You know, what do you do? It's yeah, like, right. And um, again, in the in the geographical area that you were operating in, given that it's not a dense city, um, it's more, you know, sprawled, more spread out. So drivers have to drive a longer distance between different spots. So does that factor into it at all? I mean, dead cities are dense. So, you, you know, if you're in New York City, you could potentially get 10 orders from the same building. So the driver drives up with all 10 orders, delivers them, off he goes. But in a place like Orlando, he could be going from one place to the next and driving maybe 15, 20 minutes between uh, different different uh, delivery locations. Uh, did that factor into your challenge at all? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's a good observation. Orlando is extremely spread out. And we actually ended up having these little satellite locations to where we would have we would station a group of drivers over in this area called Altamont Springs Longwood. Then we would station a group of drivers over in this area called Dr. Phillips Metro West. And then we'd have a group of drivers over in Lake Mary, a group of drivers over by the airport. So yeah, you know, you couldn't just have one driver, one group of drivers covering the whole area because it was such a huge spread out area, which definitely made it more challenging for us as opposed to some of our, branches that we ended up opening up like Gainesville, Tallahassee, um, even Nashville, it was a lot more centralized where it was like all the drivers were in one area and it made it a lot easier to do things like you just mentioned. We, we would call that order stacking. So if you saw that, okay, there's three orders going to the same building that one from the same restaurant, that one driver can pick up all three orders, right? Uh, versus, you know, if one, one order is going to one location and then the other one's like four miles away, you can't have that same driver pick up both orders. Sure. That makes sense. So um, then, you know, shifting to when you sold the company, uh, you know, you've, you've obviously put in a lot of hard work, blood, sweat and tears, late hours, et cetera, building the business up. Um, this is a situation, this is a question that a lot of, entrepreneurs and business owners kind of wrestle with. Um, how did you make the decision to sell the business? 
did it feel like it was your baby and you wanted to hang on to it forever? Or did you feel that it had kind of run its course and you were ready to do something else? Uh, another good question. I would say the, the primary reason was we saw the writing on the wall when Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, like I said, Amazon at one point had their own delivery services. They all started coming into our, our larger, even though they were still tier two and tier three, um, the larger ones of those markets, the tier two, let's call it, the Orlandos, the Nashvilles, mm -hmm. the Miamis, they all started getting these competitors coming in. And we saw our restaurants signing up with them. And we had exclusives with our restaurants. We had exclusive contracts, right? Because at the time, our restaurants didn't see any, there was no other competition. So they're like, sure, sure yeah, we'll, we'll be exclusive with you. But very quickly, we learned that those didn't really hold up because the restaurant that got approached by somebody like Grubhub that said, hey, we'll deliver your orders for a full year for free. We won't make any commission on them. And then, you know, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z to, to promote you, to get the word out and really, you know, get, get your restaurant's name out there. They would basically just say, look, I can't say no to that. And they would go to us. Some of them would ask us. Some of them would just go ahead and do it. And at first we kind of tried to fight it and say, guys, we have an exclusive. You can't do this. But then we quickly realized it was futile and we just sort of gave up and they started coming in hot. And, you know, when they're losing money hand over fist in order to gain market share, to me, that's when I knew like, we're actually in this to make money. And that's how we start, you know, we, we started not making money. It's taken us years to, to get our commissions to where they are. And, and from the restaurant, that's how we mainly made our, our money was from the restaurants, not the customer. The customer sure. paid the delivery fee and the tip to the driver, but we made a, a commission typically around 30% sure. on every single order from the restaurant. And now you got places like Grubhub, DoorDash coming in saying, Hey, we'll do it for, for free for a year. And then 10, 10% after that. So then your restaurants come and start renegotiating with you and saying, hey, these guys are doing it for that. And that's when I knew the party was over. Sure, sure. And then so um, how did you go about, you know, selling the business? This is, again, another um, you can you can offer some very valuable insights to a lot of our business owner listeners who, you know, are. are you know, at a point where they've, they've grown the business, now they're feeling like, oh, this might be a good time to sell. Um, so how did you go about doing that? Did you hire a business broker? Did you, uh, did you tap your own network, your contacts, et cetera? Uh, so what's the first step that someone, someone goes through when they decide they're going to sell the business? So we did both of those things. And the first one we did was we hired somebody to take us to market. Uh, he created a pitch deck for us. He'd had some experience in this this field, and we wanted to put ourselves out there to some of these bigger players and see what kind of offer we get. Um, it didn't take us long when we put put it together, and we got our first offer from Grubhub, actually, um, which ironically, I'm here in Chicago now. They're based out of Chicago. At the time, um, I just remember looking at them as this this big, huge, scary company that made us a really terrible offer. <laughs> it was going to put us out of business. Uh, but so, yeah, their offer was, was way lower than we had anticipated or hoped, I guess you could say. And I quickly realized, well, we're not going to get the price that we, we know we want and we think we're worth right now. The only way to do this is to scale up. And so I just hit my Rolodex and I literally went through and said, who do I know that 
Like, how do we grow this thing? You know, and we looked at raising money and, and I basically ended up finding this, this company, as I mentioned earlier, Bite Squad out of Minneapolis, a gentleman named Arash, who I spoke to, he and I had, we'd shared a couple markets. We shared the Denver market. We shared the Miami market, meaning his, his service competed against ours, but we'd always stayed friendly. And I said, yeah, you know, what's your plan? What are you guys doing? Cause I always had a lot of respect for them. And he said, you know what, we're looking to do something very similar to you. We, we know we need to merge and grow bigger with another company and raise some money and really put this thing into high gear. Otherwise we're going to get left in the dust. So that's exactly what we did. We, we partnered up with them. We raised money and started buying smaller companies in two tier, tier two and tier three cities. And we got, we went from a 60, well, let's see about a 50 to $60 million company between the two of us. Um, and then in, in two years to about a 200 million, 300, $200 million company after purchasing, growing our own businesses as well as purchasing other companies. Sure. Excellent. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with William Moore. Stick around. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more of the Entrepreneur Effect when we return. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one training. A weekly podcast for you or your company. Distribution to almost every podcast portal. An embeddable player for your website. An ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts. And much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.WMR.FM and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. You are experiencing the entrepreneur effect only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's Dush Ramachandran. Welcome back. This is Dush Ramachandran with Entrepreneur Effect. And my guest today is William Moore, who is the original co-founder of Doorstep Delivery, which is a food delivery business. Um, and uh, he's got a lot of great insights on growing and selling a business. So, um, so William, before the, uh, before the break, we were talking about how you managed to line up uh, a buyer and merged with uh, uh, this company from Minneapolis. Um, but you eventually completely exited the business. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So for the first two to three years, 
we, we merged and we grew it. And then we officially had an offer and got bought out by a company called Waiter Holdings out of Louisiana in February of 2020 is when we closed. Excuse me, that February is. 2019. 19, nice. And so for people uh, that might be on the point of selling their business, what are maybe three things that they ought to be looking for in a, in a deal? Because the temptation is when you get, get the first offer uh, from a prospective buyer, uh, if it's a halfway decent offer, the temptation is to just go with it. Um, is, would that be the right strategy or um, should you wait it out? People, people lose their nerve. They feel, you know, oh my God, what if I don't get another offer and the first one is the best? So what, would you, what, what advice would you give to business owners? Um, maybe two or three things that they should be thinking about um, when they're getting ready to sell their business. So... I would definitely say that you need to, you know, each business is unique and different. So it's not a blanket answer for that question. If your business is on the rise, I think that you can be a little bit pickier and choosier and maybe say, well, we're growing very steadily and we've got blue skies ahead of us for the most part. Um, then you, you know, you don't need to just, take whatever comes at you. Again, it also depends on your situation. If you desperately need the money, you desperately need the money. But in our case, you know, we were on the way down, like our numbers were, were peaked and we saw them starting to go down a bit because of what was happening with these uh -huh. competitors. And so I knew it was only, even though <laughs> I kind of got into it with my partners at the time, they just, a couple of them, there were four of us total, a couple of them disagreed and thought, we were going to ride it out and that these guys were going to go away because they didn't know how to do it. Right. And I said, look, they'll figure it out and they've got billions of dollars to do it. I don't want to mess around here. And so my, my thought was, look, we just, we got to get out. The, the first offer I'm really glad we didn't take from Grubhub was so low that it was just insulting basically. <laughs> but right. uh, when we got that next offer, I mean, it was actually, it was a very good offer and, but we wouldn't, we put ourselves in that position to get that offer. Right. And we, we proactively said, what do we need to do to our business to become as sexy as possible for somebody else to come around and say, you know what, this is a good investment. And so that's why we, we raised the money. We started buying smaller delivery services around the country in these tier two and three markets. And we knew that we had something because other than, you know, Grubhub and these big ones were still focused on the bigger markets. And if we could create that, that niche, that niche in those, in those other markets, then, that would be valuable to somebody. And sure enough, sure. that's what ended up happening. Nice. And um, so then you, you, you closed on the transaction sell the business in um, 2019. Um, so what are you excited about now? What, what, uh, how would you like to spend the big pile of cash that you got? So as soon as I, as soon as I sold the business, fortunately, I've, been, I've always been super into wellness and personal development, self-help, whatever you want to call it. Um, I hit my rock bottom when I was in college. I had a, a tough start to my childhood and got to the point where I was your typical victim, uh, basically suicidal. Like, I don't want to go on. This is awful. Like, I, my brain's broken. There's nothing I can do about it type thing. I started reading self-help books. It sort of transformed the way I looked at the world. I started understanding universal principles, which is what ended up 
in the end, I'm, I'm positive is why I got to where I did business wise. Uh, but it also helped me to redefine the definition of success as a whole. Whereas I think I originally, like most people associated success with a dollar figure and how far I made it in my career. Whereas as soon as I sold, fortunately, I was already aware of the fact that it was going to be a short lived high, so to speak, uh, sure. a victory. And it was, it, it wore off very quickly. And then I said, what, you know, now what, sorry, were you going to ask a question? No, um, that's, that's great. Um, so uh, in terms of what you were going to do after, uh, I think you, you, you said it very well when you said focusing on personal development and so on. Great. Um, so for people that are in your position, um, that sounds like a really good prescription. Go, go find something that you can be happy with and you know, develop yourself, look for other things, look for ways to help other people. That's exactly right. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, the giving back portion. So I have these five cores that I tell people, you know, you got to continually build momentum, take action and build the right habits and get rid of the bad habits. And uh, I call it firing on all cylinders and all five. And it's your mindset. It's your physical health. It's your relationships. It's your emotional health and giving back. And it's your career and your finances. And all five of those you need to find the path to making you happy. And if you just focus on one or even two of them, you're not going to feel that deep, fulfilled, long-term happiness that we're all looking for. You're going to get little shallow dopamine hits here and there. And yeah. so that's what I help people understand is how to live the five core life, how to understand what are those habits that they want to stop in each of those areas, how to replace them. And I'm gamifying the process. I'm doing it in a fun interesting way to reduce the friction, to make it fun for people to want to take the action. It's nice. going to help them. Very good. So uh, to wrap up, um, if any of our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way they might do that? Uh, they can check my website out. It's moremomentum.com, M-O-O-R-E, momentum.com. There's a little quiz on there, core life evaluator quiz, uh, where you can figure out where you currently stand in each of your five cores and the steps to start taking to, to start building momentum, positive momentum in each. Um, and also I have an Instagram page. It's called uh, five core life spelled with a five, not F I V E core life. And that's got more tips and, and I do interviews as well. And this type of stuff to, to make it fun to, to become your best self. Wonderful. William, thank you so much for your time. It's been a delight having you on and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about what you do with more momentum. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much, Dutch. This has been a, a pleasure and I really appreciate you having me. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. 
Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.